Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News Magazine, coming at you with another Velo News Tech Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and comment on this podcast so that you remember to come back and listen to me even more later on. Today, we're going to talk about something that I'm sure none of you have strong feelings about at all. Uh, today, we're going to talk about e-bikes. Uh, not controversial at all, right? Yeah, everybody's on board with e-bikes, right? Well, okay, we're going to talk about what e-bikes actually are. So be honest with yourself right now. Do you actually know what an e-bike is? Now, if your inclination is to say, oh, it's a bike with a motor, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And it's that complication that I really wanted to get the heart of today. I wanted to find out what exactly constitutes an e-bike, what are the real components behind it, how does it work, and and what's the deal with all those batteries? So, you know, we, we kind of have this simplified idea in our head that an e-bike is this motorized thing that's going to rip up the trails and, and make everybody's life miserable and they're loud, blah, blah, blah. Having ridden them myself, I can tell you that's really not the case. But I wanted to get a more technical understanding of what they really are. So I got in touch with some folks at Bosch and had a little interview. So here's here's what I learned about e-bikes. Let's let's go to the interview. Okay, so I am on the line with Jonathan Weinert, sales and marketing manager at Bosch, to answer some of the uh, mystical questions about e-bikes uh, that I think really most of us we, we don't really understand uh, e-bikes as they are right now because it is such a new phenomenon and it's way too easy to pigeonhole them in the uh, the category of, oh, they're just, they're motorized bikes, they're dirt bikes, uh, blah, blah, blah. So let's let's get to the truth of it. Um, first of all, Jonathan, thanks thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here, Dan. So let's, let's, let's jump right in. Um, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of terms. We've heard pedal assist, we've heard pedelec, we've heard e-bike. Is there any difference between these types of bikes? Um, what are they? Hmm. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a great fundamental existential question. What is an e-bike? And it's not quite as simple as, as you would think. So um, it depends who you ask. If you ask the general public, uh, and you could, as, as one way to ask the general public, just look on Instagram type in the, the, the tag e-bike and look at what comes up. Mm-hmm. You will find everything from high-powered zero electric motorcycles all the way to low-powered, very bicycle-looking pedal-assist electric bikes. So in the public's eye, it's really a split of anything with two wheels and an electric motor, really. Um, however, if you ask the federal government Uh, The federal government actually defined e-bikes in 2002, and they defined it uh, a specific class of them. Low-speed electric bicycle means a two- or three-wheeled vehicle with fully operable pedals and an electric motor of less than 750 watts, which is one horsepower, whose maximum speed on a paved-level surface when powered solely by such a motor while ridden by an operator who weighs 170 pounds is less than 20 miles per hour. So that's how the federal government actually defines a low-speed electric bike. Perfectly clear, as the federal government is always used to doing, is making things crystal clear, right? Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you'll notice in that language, there's this, there's this um, uh, term, solely by such a motor, mm-hmm. which when you think about a pedal-assist electric bike, which is what Bosch e-bike system provides the, the motor for, and which is really, uh, I think, uh, for the bicycle industry, uh, the, all the major brands today are 
producing some form of pedal assist e-bikes. So when you ask us, like Trek, Giant, Specialized, Bosch, Yamaha, Shimano, when you ask us what an e-bike is, we think in our minds, okay, it's a pedal assist electric bike, meaning you need to put effort into it to get some electric tailwind out of it. So to, to boost your human effort, and it's boosted by electric effort. So we're really not talking about throttles anymore. I mean, I think there's this perception that there's a throttle on your e-bike and you can just rip into it like a motorcycle and, and start, you know, rooster tailing in corners. Is that, That's not accurate, is it? Well, again, there's, um, there's a whole part of the market that that type of e-bike appeals to. And it's a much different crowd than who um, track giant specialized and many others have been selling to, mm -hmm. but there are still many companies that do the throttle, uh, the, the throttle type electric bike. And there are many of those that look like regular bicycles, but we see more of the market shifting away from throttle, which was really popular 10 years ago. And as the technology for pedal assist electric bikes has been improving, and it's been improving quite a bit in the last few years. Um, we see more and more companies and end consumers shifting towards pedal assist electric bikes mm -hmm. because they feel more like bicycles. And uh, people are realizing, you know what? I don't need throttle. I want something that's simple, intuitive to operate, and also you get this health benefit from it. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of moving in the direction that Europe has uh, started moving in 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, that my experience with e-bikes so far has been almost exclusively um, pedal assist. I, I do remember, uh, you know, using some throttle style bikes, but that was so many years ago. And I, I you know, I'm, I guess I haven't even seen one in so long that I just assumed that that really wasn't even a thing anymore. Um, and the, pe the pedal assist ones, you know, you do get that sense that you're riding a, a bike, you know, it's not like I, I, you know, just, I'm just, you know, put the, pop the, pop the pedal assist at its highest level and I'm just motoring along. Um, you do actually pedal, you do actually still handle it like you would any other bike. Um, so, so really what we're talking about is a, is a reeducation of what types of e-bikes are out there. Um, there, there are several kinds, but the pedal assist seems to be sort of taking over. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. So now I think, you know, obviously one of the controversies is trail access for mountain bikers and things like that. And, you know, is this a motor motorized vehicle and, and all that? But before we even dive into that, you know, I think we really do need to dive down a little bit deeper into what what actually is an e-bike. And, and, you know, everybody knows that it's a bike with a battery and a pedal assist motor. Okay, well, do you even know what that battery is? Do you know what that pedal assist motor does? So let's start with the battery. Let's, let's talk batteries. What are the batteries made of? How long are they meant to last? Um, why are they the the choice for for e bikes right now? Okay, so the I'm just talking about the Bosch Power Pack, which is made up of uh, many lithium ion cells, and um, these are st standard lithium ion cells that are <clears throat> used by uh, many different manufacturers. Um, many different types of applications, including automotive applications, power tool applications. So this is standard proven mature lithium ion battery technology. We integrate those cells into the battery pack together with the battery management system, which uh, protects the battery really. It tells it, oh, don't discharge too much. 
uh, don't charge too much, uh, keeps it in this, this perfect range uh, to ensure long life from the battery and also safe operation uh, because you don't want the battery to overheat. So yeah, with the battery, the, that's the key technology inside it. Lithium ion, uh, and there are many different flavors of lithium ion, lithium ion battery technology. Um, but yeah, the, the industry, yeah, that's, so, so the, this is a standard, I mean, we've all heard of lithium-ion batteries at this point. I mean, if you own a drill, you probably have a lithium-ion battery in your house already. Um, so, so this is not exactly, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're using existing technology for these batteries, correct? It, exactly. Standard 18650 cells, yeah, that have been used for, for years. And keep in mind, these cells keep getting better and better in terms of energy density. So I'm talking about how much energy can they store for a given weight and a given size. So over the last few years, the batteries at the same sort of uh, energy capacity, uh, they keep getting a little bit smaller and a little bit lighter. And so, yeah. These, What's, um, what, not in terms of like when I'm out riding, you know, how long are they going to last, but how long is a battery going to, how long is a battery's life expectancy? I mean, is it, is it two years, 10 years, you know, how long, how long can I expect one of these e-bike batteries to last me? Uh, again, it, it depends on how well you treat it and how hard you use it. So Bosch batteries, for instance, they're warranted for two years or 500 cycles, 500 charging cycles. If you think about 500 charging cycles, that's uh, roughly 20 to 25,000 miles. Um, so that just gives you a, a rough idea how long they're expected to use if you're using it all the time. Of course, if you live in a really hot environment like Arizona, you leave your batteries out in the blazing sun every day, day in, day out, that's going to chip away at its life. Same as if you live in uh, Quebec and you leave your e-bike out or in the garage overnight during winter and the battery gets really cold. It doesn't like, it's kind of like a pet. It doesn't like to be in super hot conditions or super cold conditions. So rule of thumb, treat your battery like a pet. Mm -hmm. So basically if I'm a really lazy bike owner in Scottsdale, Arizona, I'm, I'm probably going to get a, a shorter battery life out of it. Uh, and same, same in, in the cold climate, just like that. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's consistent with what electric vehicle owners have been experiencing as well. So same fundamental rules apply. Okay. So uh, now assuming you, know, you can treat it like a pet, so no, you can't go smashing somebody's window. And if you see an e-bike in, in a hot car, don't do that. Um, but <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, that was a terrible yeah, joke. Not. That was really bad. <laughs> Somebody should call me on that. You know, don't let that slide guys. That's, that's terrible. Um, but assuming, uh, you know, you, you, you take general care of it, um, you know, and, and don't leave it in, in situations where it won't thrive. You'll get a few, you'll get a few years out of this at least. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and, now what, what happens to that, that battery when it's basically beyond its, its usefulness where, you know, are they recyclable? What does a consumer do? Does he have to buy an aftermarket one to replace it? Um, talk a little bit about the lifespan and the, and really the death of a battery. Yeah, the death of a battery. <laughs> so a sad, very sad moment in the, the e-bike's life <laughs> yeah, when, when yeah. the battery goes kaput. Mm -hmm. uh, so what happens? Yeah, it, it, it's sort of a, a gradual death. Like like maybe 
you've experienced this with your cell phone or your computer, but you find, okay, when I, when I first started riding, I got a hundred miles out of a charge and now I'm only getting, I don't know, 20 or 30 miles out of a charge after several years of riding. Okay. At that point, you flip the battery over and you look on the label and you'll see, at least on the Bosch system, Bosch batteries, you'll see this 1-800 call to recycle. And this is the agency that we work with to ensure that our, our batteries are picked up and go to the uh, the, the great, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, reincarnation, uh, <laughs> the, the great reincarnator of, of batteries. Uh, call to recycle will pick it up and um, make sure that it gets properly recycled. And most lithium ion batteries today are actually recycled. I don't know the exact percentage, but um, the industry, lithium ion battery industry um, has has done a pretty good job ensuring that they, they don't end up in landfills. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, I don't know if you, you would even know the answer to this question, but what does that recycling process look like? Do the batteries get reused or are they broken down and, and used for parts? They're broken down, okay. yeah. Okay. There, there was yeah for for automotive batteries that are recycled, some see a a secondary use like, but where they don't get completely grinded up, but um, yeah, typically the cells get uh, grinded up and sorted out, and the the materials all make it back into the the supply chain, uh-huh. the raw material supply chain. Okay, so you know we've we, very in a very um, you know sort of morbid fashion we really focused on the death first, but let's talk about the the, the birth of a battery. Um, you know, one of the one of the talking points I always see about uh, e-bikes is you know oh you think you're so environmentally conscious you know you see it with e you know electric cars too you think you're so environmentally cautious where do you think you know these factories get their energy to make these batteries? Well, you know I really don't I really don't know anything about how batteries are made. Um, so I, I honestly can't answer that question. You know, what? How is a battery made? Where are they? Where are your batteries made? How are they designed? Um, what, what? What's the environmental impact of them? Okay. So, uh, first of all, most uh, most of the world's highest quality eighteen six fifty lithium ion cells are made by three big companies: um, LG Chem, Sony, and uh, Sanyo. And um, there are also many studies out there that look at the life cycle analysis, uh, energy usage, pollution from uh, resulting from battery production. And it's really just a small, small part of the overall energy use and and potential emissions from an e-bike, that initial manufacturing stage. So um, the overall the overall environmental impacts of an e-bike, when you even when you consider the manufacturing of the lithium-ion battery, uh, is just a, a small fraction of like uh, an automobile. So if you're comparing um, one, if you're comparing these two forms of transportation, electric bike to an automobile, the electric bike is far superior in terms of its uh, carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. 
I suppose that wasn't really a fair question. I mean, I feel like, you know, that argument, it really, uh, really comes from folks that are arguing that e-bikes aren't, or excuse me, that electric uh, cars are not any more uh, environmentally friendly. And I think, you know, just given the size of, of e-bikes, clearly the environmental footprint is going to be a lot smaller. But I, th- I still think there's a valid concern about, you know, what are, what are these batteries, uh, where are they coming from? Uh, you know, how they produced and, and where do they end up, you know, so that life cycle of a battery is really a, a key talking point against e-bikes. And I think there's, there's also a lot of misinformation. I mean, like you're saying, I mean, I think we, we can't really think of the e-bike battery as its own thing. It's, it's part of a grander uh, thing that's, you know, car batteries and power tool batteries and even, you know, certain vacuums and things like that. Um, and I think that's the bigger concern. So again, I think it comes back to the point that we're really, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel with battery life or excuse me, with batteries on e-bikes. It's all technology. And I think there's some solace to be taken knowing that a lot of them get, uh, recycled. Um, and I don't know if that's, I mean, I don't really understand, you know, when a battery is recycled and maybe you can clarify this when a battery is recycled, it's broken down, you you know, it's, it's, essentially, you know, turned into something else. Um, but but what, what does that really mean? I mean, is it, is it physical parts? I mean, what, what is this lithium ion substance or, you know, what happens to those cells? Well, so they're, yeah, they're breaking into their components. And one of the most precious components in the battery cell is this uh, lithium, lithium material, which is not, it's not universally available, but there's huge mines in China and South America, and there's even some some mines in I believe Nevada, where um where where they're actually mining for lithium. Uh, some lithium ion batteries also use cobalt um, and uh, magnesium, I believe, um, and the cobalt is uh, I, I think it's considered a rare slash precious material, and um, that supply is fairly limited, but the the amount of cobalt uh, and even lithium that is part of the uh, entire battery cell is um, it's, a, it's a small part of the you know, the weight the total weight of that cell so there, there's other things in there like the the metal casing um, the the graphite that makes up the other um, the, the anode of the battery the cathode is is lithium the anode is graphite so um, graphite is just carbon, which is a very innocuous material. Right. Um, innocuous. I like that word. Uh, that's, often, <laughs> that's often applied to my uh, my my articles as well. No. Um, <laughs> so you know, basically, what I'm taking away from this is batteries are magic, and we should just accept it. Um, but let's talk about the batteries. <laughs> and, Skeptical and, acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to have some healthy you, skepticism. Is there said, a lithium cartel in the world? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe. You, you said a lot of <laughs> fancy sciencey of things, and I just, yeah, I was, I was lost. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, I, I should mention, I, I failed chemistry in, in high school, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a complete <laughs> loss here. Um, so I can just throw anything at you, and you'll, you'll, oh, you'll yeah. buy it. You could have told, you could have said <laughs> any words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unobtainium is the, is the oh, key yes. ingredient. I've, I've of, heard of it. Cells. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, <laughs> but move. But let's let's talk more on a base level from a consumer standpoint. Uh, obviously, a big talking point is you know the batteries are massive. Why are they so big, and are they going to get smaller? <laughs> okay, great question. And if you um, if you ask somebody, maybe you ask a, a 
a teenager today. Yeah, why are the batteries so massive? These things are big and bulky, especially when you compare it to the, the, the kid's Santa Cruz bike, uh, or a regular bike that, that's super light. Um, but if you go back to the 90s, then you you would be like, oh my God, these, these lithium ion batteries today are so light and so small and they're integrated into the frame. It's amazing. Because if you go back to the mid 90s, the first e-bike that really hit the US was Lee Iacocca's e-bike and Curry Tech's EV Warrior, and they use lead acid batteries, huge bulky lead acid batteries, and also nickel cadmium batteries. Um, cadmium, not the most environmentally friendly material. Lead, also not the most environmentally friendly. Uh, and since the the mid '90s, uh, battery energy density has uh, has really improved. Like, um, yeah, by by uh, orders of magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the fact that, uh, you know, I, I might, I can't be the only one that just had like a, a shiver of terror when you said, let's go back to the mid nineties. Um, <laughs> I, was yeah. like, oh, man, good I lived through high school. I don't want to go back. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we now understand that, um, batter, batteries may look big to, to us now, but they're actually quite small, but you know, I think any brand worth its salt is looking at making these batteries smaller, even even smaller than they are now. Is that in the cards? And when when will we see that? And and in what form? Yeah, yeah. So, um, as as the these um, battery companies that I mentioned, like Samsung and LG Chem and and Sony, as they um, innovate more on the the battery materials that are used, they will either get smaller or they will keep the same amount of energy capacity, um, or sorry, they will either get smaller and keep the same amount of energy capacity, or they will actually um, stay the same size and you just get more energy sort of in the tank. So you, you may be able to go farther with the exact same size than you, you would have uh, you know, mm-hmm. two years ago. So it's a bit of a trade-off. You can, you can really... Uh, because really those are the two drawbacks, right? Is the size of the battery and the battery life. And so at at this stage in the game, it sounds like it's still a bit of a compromise, a give and take to to minimize the size while maximizing battery life. Does that sound right? Uh, minimize the size while maximizing battery. I would say range. range. So how far can you go with one charge? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you see some bike manufacturers are, are um, going in one direction creating like a a bigger and bigger tank kind of bigger bigger gas tank is one way to think about it Mm -hmm. um to go farther um and some manufacturers are saying okay actually we just need a small battery to keep the bike really nimble and lightweight and feel even more like a mountain bike Mm -hmm. so two different design approaches and it kind of depends on what type of e-bike it's being applied to Mm -hmm. is it a commuter bike or is it a electric mountain bike i see um, you mentioned something that I never, ever thought I would hear mentioned on the Velo News Tech Podcast, and that's Lee Iacocca. Um, ha, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the evolution of e-bikes. Um, oh, yeah. What were the first ones like, and, and how have they changed over the years? So if, if you talk to some of the bike dealers that were around in the, in the mid-'90s, um, one reason why they were so skeptical for you know, over the last few years one reason why they've been so skeptical of this big e-bike craze now that that's hitting America is they're like, wait, we've seen this before. We know how it ends. 
uh, it's terrible. The, the, the early experience was these, these e-bikes, not only were they heavy and they sometimes propelled the rider when they didn't want to be propelled or they, um, they had this sort of lag in response time, which was kind of scary for riders, uh, but they also didn't work very well. They were notoriously unreliable. So uh, bad experience for consumers, but even worse experience for the dealers because these consumers would bring the bike back and the bike shop uh, couldn't get the support they needed to actually fix it. And it you know required soldering and uh, it required a lot of skills that most bike shops didn't have at the time. Now the whole process of service for e-bikes has gotten way simpler, at least for Bosch e-bike systems. It's just swap and replace. There's a diagnostic tool, just like with your car, you read an error code or the, the, the shop mechanic reads an error code. It says, oh, the battery's faulty, swap it, send it back, and we'll send you a new one. No need to open anything up, solder wires and take things apart. So the experience for dealers is way easier now. And so the dealers are, are finally like, oh, I sell a bike and it doesn't come back. Mm. Oh, I like that. Mm. And if it does come back, it's easy to fix. Sure, sure. And so some of those early ones, it seems like they were pretty played with problems and, and the more modern ones, probably not perfect, but definitely getting better. Uh, oh, yeah. What's what's the evolution next? I mean, I think I think one of the reasons that a lot of people are hesitant to invest in e-bikes is a lot of the same reasons that people don't always run out and buy the latest iPhone. It's like, oh, they're, they're releasing the newest and hottest. That's going to be the newest and hottest for the next, what, six months. And then somebody's going to come out with something <laughs> right. else. Uh, I mean, exactly. What do you say to the crowd like me that's, you know, got a five-year-old, four-year-old iPhone, you know, and, and you know, we want to see what's next. We want to see them get lighter and more efficient. Um, is that going to happen? Is it worth waiting or should, or is this as good as it's going to be for, for a while? Well, yeah, it depends your, your appetite for, uh, uh yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll just say the pace of innovation in the e-bike industry is still really fast and every year there are like like with bosch for instance um we recently came out with our power tube integrated battery which can be integrated into the down tube it's it's uh, uh, integrated inside the frame so you don't even see it anymore um so customers that maybe bought an e-bike the year before the they might feel like, oh, gosh, I wish I would have waited for the power tube or um, wish I would have waited for the new kiosks, which is a color display instead of having the older Intuvia display. Um, I, I guess the, the this, yeah, not only Bosch, but other suppliers as well, that the pace of innovation is still really fast. Um, but if, I guess that's a trade-off between waiting and just getting what's the best today. And it'll still be great for, for years to come, just like your, your iPhone from four years ago. It's sure. still pretty awesome. Yeah. You can use the apps and mine's not very um, awesome, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, crack screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it barely, barely turns on battery life is uh, four minutes, you know, um, uh, wow. <laughs> what, uh, but there's nothing, there's nothing on the horizon that's, mind-blowingly you know it's not oh a flying e-bike is coming you know it's not something no. on the horizon that people should be like oh well i'll just wait until that technology is is ready to go no i wouldn't i wouldn't say anything like there's just going to be this huge step change in the technology next year or so so we'll wait um 
but yeah, every year there's, there's new, I'd say incremental improvements. I think one big trend in e-bikes today is this connectivity aspect. Mm-hmm. And um, so like for instance, this Kiox display that we came out with this, that's Bosch's first step into connectivity where you can connect your yourself to the e-bike and that's that's done through a, a heart rate sensor a heart rate monitor that you, you might wear on your wrist or on your chest you can actually see your heart rate on your bike while you're riding sure. um, see the power that you're putting into the the bike so that's just like the first step in connectivity and more and more connectivity features will come uh-huh. if i was a sci-fi dork i'd be making so many jokes right now uh, I, uh but i'm just i'm not that learned in the you know the, the cyborg terminator uh, uh, so that's I'm, where we're going yeah that's i apologize i apologize to my audience i don't even have a good bad joke to tell right now uh, but, all right so let's let's talk a little bit about um the actual function and we've talked about the battery and we've we've talked about you know the connectivity and all that um but we're still talking about this vague term this this motor this uh pedal assist motor how does that actually work Okay, so we call it the drive unit. It's an electric drive, which has an electric motor inside, but also some gearing and electronics that control the, the motor and sensors. So how does that all fit together to, to give you this electric tailwind experience? That, that's the goal, by the way, to, to make it feel like a tailwind. So the way it works is there are three sensors on the bike. Uh, one is a torque sensor that is integrated into the drive unit that, that feels how hard you're pedaling. Another is the wheel speed sensor to, to, to um, measure how fast you're going. And then the other one is the cadence sensor that also measures how fast you're pedaling. With those three sensor inputs, uh, we feed those into the electronics, measuring at a thousand times a second. And that that measurement tells the electric motor how much uh, assistance to add on top of your own pedal power, your own human pedal power. And it does it in a way that it's very gradual, gradual in and gradual off. So that it just feels natural. So the magic is these precise sensors, the electronics and a fast response electric motor, uh, a permanent magnet synchronous electric motor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so when I when I apply torque to my pedals, uh, what exactly does the motor do? I mean, is it is it kicking in? I mean, I'm I'm trying to get a a, a, a visual on this. In other words, like I know how I know how I know how a car works. Take some power onto this crankshaft, and then you feel stronger. That's the end of end effect. So with with that electric with that extra assist from the electric motor, your 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 crankshaft is. One way to think about it is that like for every rotation, for every crank rotation, you're getting like two or three rotations of uh, two or three uh, pedals strokes of, of power or yeah, of extra boost. So it's basically yeah, 50% boost to 300% boost. Okay. And is this the, the talk about the motor, uh, in a physical sense, is it a brushless motor or is it something else? Yep. It is a brushless motor. Yeah, okay. yeah. brushless you... motor with permanent magnets inside. Okay. Can you just explain for for those uh, who've never heard of a brushless motor what exactly that is? Yeah, a brushless motor is most, uh, yeah, most electric motors today are brushless and it 
basically uh, is a lower maintenance motor because without brushes that that wear down over time, um, it's it's something we it uses something we call electric commutation to um, uh, yeah to operate. So the the main thing to to know about brushless motors is lower maintenance, higher efficiency. So you, yeah, I mean, you can you can Google uh, brushless motor to kind of get a sense of how it actually works. Um, but the, the the takeaway is that essentially it should last longer uh, than you know electric motors of of yore. Um, yes, right. The electric motors of yore that have the brushes. Okay. Uh, let's talk about speed regulators. Uh, it's you know, is this just like a uh, meet the federal guidelines sort of thing where you top out uh, and, and you won't get any more assist at a certain speed? Or is there a reason that, that we have to have regulators on these aside from the regulations of the federal government? Yeah, it is, it is really driven by government regulation. And there are two, for pedal assist electric bikes, there are two classes, class one, and class three. And, and in the very early part of this discussion, we talked about the federal definition of e-bikes, but every state has their uh, rights to define e-bikes for how they are used on the streets. And because they have, they have the responsibility of, of maintaining safe streets. So what we did first, um, or what People for Bikes in the industry did with California is we, um, we pitched California a three-class system. Class one is pedal assist, and it only goes up to 20 miles per hour. So regulated at 20, which is um, crystal clear, consistent with that federal definition of 20 miles per hour. Um, but we also recognize that uh, that there is a uh, need and a, a demand for higher speed uh, electric bikes. And so there's also class three pedal assist, which assists you up to 28 miles per hour. And the reason 28 it's really based on the. Um, it's based on the, the European law, which which set 45 kilometers per hour as the speed limit for speed bikes, and with this sort of uh, elastic term in the Federal uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission definition of e-bikes, uh, the states are comfortable uh, with allowing both Class One and Class Three. And, and many allow class two as well. So class two is 20 miles per hour and uh, throttle operated. How does the speed regulator work? What, it, what, what actually kicks in to, to cut the speed? Is it just a, like a magnet or something, a sensor in the, in the bike? It's uh, electronics. It's just software. So um, we talked about the three sensors. The wheel speed sensor feeds information to the, the electronics. And the software is written such that if... If so, wheel speed is over 20 miles per hour, cut the power off. Mm -hmm. I have a I have a question that I already know the answer to, uh, but I'm assuming our listeners who have never used an e-bike, which I would imagine is the vast majority of listeners, um, have never experienced it. So w what happens uh, when I top out and and I'm no longer getting that assist? Is it, I mean, does it all of a sudden feel like dead weight and I'm pushing this, you know, pushing the pedals in this 50-pound bike or whatever? Well, with our new active line, active line plus drive units, you will find that when you go above 20 miles per hour, it's just like riding a normal bicycle. 
yeah, if you're going uphill, you might feel the additional 12 pounds of weight that the battery plus motor add to the bike. Uh, but um, in terms of resistance in the motor itself, with this new active line, active line plus, you will not feel it at all. Okay. It's, it's negligible. Sure. And inertia is on your side at that point. I mean, you're already going 20 miles an hour. Um, so exactly right. So here's, here's one more question on sort of the, the, the other end of that. And we'll try to wrap this up because we're, you know, we're getting to the end here, but I think one of the big concerns that consumers have when it comes to e-bikes, especially uh, on e-mountain bikes, is I'm out in the middle of the woods. I'm three hours into my ride. Uh, maybe I didn't top off my charge the day before, and all of a sudden I'm I'm five miles from the parking lot, and I got a dead battery. Um, what's Bosch doing to sort of address that concern? And, and what happens when the battery does die and you're far away? Okay, so what Bosch is doing to address that concern is we're developing – uh lighter chargers so uh, well actually the charger won't help you when you're out, way out in the middle of the woods but um uh, so um i would say that uh, what we are trying to do is develop uh bikes with the capability to have actually two batteries so we've got this dual battery solution where now you can have two batteries and yeah so it doubles your range so you will less likely to run into that problem. But really another way to look at it is, okay, if you're out in the middle of the woods and you run out of juice, okay, now you're going to get a really great workout <laughs> on your way back home. It's a blessing. Uh-huh. It's a blessing uh-huh. in disguise. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Right. Wink, wink. Mm. But, but actually what we're doing in Europe, because e-mountain bikes in Europe, it's uh, I'd say it's going gangbusters. Many, many ski resorts are adopting e-bikes and integrating them them into their tourist packages. And now they're actually starting to uh, install charging stations at the tops of some of these um, these beautiful resort villages or down in the valley where people want to do these like cross valley expeditions. They can go to one of these uh, villages, charge while they're having a coffee or a, or a lunch and you know top off or just uh, get get some quick juice. And then go on their adventure. So the the charging infrastructure, I, I think we'll see more and more of that over the coming years. Okay. And you mentioned a lighter charger. What is what's the story with that? Yeah. So we have a compact charger. So if you do go on a big adventure, and yeah, two different chargers: standard, compact. Compact's just a little bit lighter, smaller. It fits into your you know camelback. And uh, if you are going somewhere that that has uh, electricity available you can uh, top off your battery while you're while you're you know hanging out at the restaurant or a campsite that happens to have solar power available yeah, yeah. Um, right. i think uh, i think cafe owners everywhere just saw a lot of wires running in and out of their restaurant in their heads <laughs> uh, <laughs> possible yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so jonathan we you know we've talked a lot about the battery and the motor is there anything I'm missing that 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 the audience needs to know about e-bikes that perhaps would change their minds about it or or give them a better perspective about what e-bikes are and what they're capable of and what the future is like? Is there anything we we didn't talk about? Yeah, probably the the last thing to touch is in, on how e-bikes are used and what we what we find is that uh, so first of all e-bike riders and there there have been several surveys and studies on this from portland state university that um, e-bike owners tend to 
use their e-bike more than they than they thought they would and um, more than their regular bicycle um they they typically ride i think roughly three times as often as bicycle riders and they also go farther so yeah you you probably expect that because an e-bike lowers the barriers to cycling whether you're on a you know trying to commute to and from work or if you are just doing uh, errands around the the house or errands around your town or taking your kids to work so e-bikes are getting more people uh getting people to cycle more they're also bringing in more people in general into the cycling world um bringing people that maybe haven't stepped foot in a bike shop in 10 20 years they're coming into a bike shop to get an e-bike um so it's it's just making cycling more accessible to a much wider part of the population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's advantageous for a lot of reasons, even if you have no intention of ever s- sitting on, a, on an e-bike yourself. I mean, there's power in numbers. I mean, there's there's really... Exactly, yeah. right. I mean, that, yeah. that changes things in terms of infrastructure. It changes things in terms of trail access. You know, when there's more people in the conversation, you know, there's there's all of a sudden a, a bigger swing in our direction. Uh, exactly. Hypothetically, at least. I mean, that's what we would hope, right? Yeah, yeah. As, as uh, yeah, our uh, elected officials see more and more people using that bike lane, cutting through their city, then they realize, okay, this is, first of all, it's getting... It's a well-used asset. It's getting, it's improving traffic in our city. It's improving health. I mean, e-bikes can solve three big problems that America has. Climate change, congestion, and obesity mm-hmm. in one fell swoop. Sure. That's, that's a pretty big promise. Um, and I, you know, I think you're, you're probably right in, in, a, in some sense. I mean, honestly, you know, it's not just limited to e-bikes, but I think that's a catalyst and it, it's making it easier for people to understand that bikes can do this for them and, and can really improve things. Uh, exactly. And it, and it does totally apply to regular bicycles as well. Sure, I mean, yeah. Sure. Bicycles are perfect, yeah. but they don't bring in everybody. Right. And some people are still intimidated by just a normal bicycle right, right. or Oh man, I can't wait to read the Twitter war you just started. <laughs> oh well. Uh, well, Jonathan, thanks thanks very much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I'm sure we'll end up talking in the near future again as as things evolve even more. Um, yeah, Dan, it's been a real pleasure. I enjoyed it. Right, and to uh, to all you listening today. Uh, as always, if you have questions or comments about this podcast or recommendations for anything you'd like me to cover on the Bella News Tech Podcast, please do tweet at me at Brown Tide Dan, or feel free to comment on Facebook and let me know what you think about e-bikes, their future, uh, and uh, you know our conversation today about all things e-bikes. Uh, thank you again for listening.